Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. One question, two research reviews, and three actionable health tips, all centered around the Lifestyle First method, your blueprint for the 10 key roots of optimal health and happiness. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hello and welcome to Series 6, Episode 3. Now the theme we're focusing on today is F for food. And the one question we're asking is, why do I need freedom to eat or not eat? And to answer that, I would like to introduce you to my guest today, who is Gillian Riley. Now, Gillian is from the UK and is a TEDx speaker with TEDx Chelmsford with her talk, The Mindset for Healthy Eating. Gillian's been leading workshops on taking control of overeating for over 20 years now. She launched her book, Eating Less, in 1999, and she's been running more recently webinars through Eating Less Online. So, Gillian, a very, very warm welcome to you. I'm delighted to be speaking to you today. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. It's really lovely to be here. You're very, very welcome. Now, Food. We tend to connect food very strongly with weight, don't we? And we connect it with weight gain and with weight loss. And what we do know, and I know you'll agree with this, is that restrictive diets for weight loss do not work. And there's probably multiple reasons around this. Of course, there are. But two prime ones are, of course, related to metabolism and to mindset and your work focuses very much on the mindset of eating mm. it? and particularly the freedom to eat and freedom it's such a strong human need mm. so I really wanted to ask you then how do you relate freedom to food? <laughs> I believe it's absolutely essential the people come to me for help because they are in the most part I would say everybody really I there's very few exceptions most people are afraid of that freedom and the reason is because they've learned not to trust themselves like I when it comes to food when it comes to eating I'm not um, I'm not trustworthy I don't keep my word to myself I make a plan to eat a certain way and maybe I do it for a while, but then I, I don't. So I, I cannot be trusted with freedom. In an attempt to control overeating and lose weight, people turn to somebody else to determine what and when and how much they eat. And that's why even though, as, as you say very clearly, diets don't work. Everybody knows diets don't work, but diets endure. They're still there, even under another name. I mean, very often they're masquerading under the name of a nutritional theory, you know, or a challenge, you know, let's try this for a month or whatever it is. Um, 
it's not a diet, but we're going to do these things and we're going to cut out these things and these things and these things um, for, for our health and nutritional, you know, support. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a diet, but we're all going to do that. But it it is in the sense that I'm um, following instructions or, or rules or restrictions. It doesn't really matter what you call it, but I'm following um, advice even you could say and it, it's not whether it's good advice or bad advice it could be excellent advice um, you know or not as the case may be but the fundamental problem is I still don't trust myself and I still need to look to some kind of authority figure or you know expert in the field I suppose mm-hmm. uh, to tell me what to eat what not to eat how much to eat, when to eat. And so the basic lack of trust doesn't actually get addressed and resolved. Mm. That's really interesting you say that, I guess, because there's there's a lot about terminology, isn't there? And the meaning we associate with words. And as you say, the word diet has been around for a long time. But if we take it back to its raw meaning, diet simply means what you eat. Yes. Actually, we go beyond that and then think about why you eat, when you eat, how you eat. And all of that plays a part in our relationship with with food, doesn't it? So if you come back to that freedom and trust, how do you gain that for yourself when fundamentally there's so many stories you tell yourself about food related to upbringing, what you're seeing in the adverts and the media, the adverts on the sides of buses, the influences that you've had uh, with your own sort of relationship with food and and, uh, the meaning you infer with it. How do you create that trust to allow yourself to have freedom to choose what to eat, when to eat, how to eat? A, A lot of it has to do with undoing the dieting mindset that people have created all their lives and very understandably because that's the only thing that's been available so the dieting mindset very much is about give me give me a rule to follow um sometimes people get upset that i'm not doing that and i i won't do that i i very specifically don't tell people what to eat what not to eat when to eat how much to eat I very particularly don't do that. Um, it, it's, I, I, it, it doesn't contribute to that own personal, you know, um, process of, of figuring out how to do that for oneself. But when people even begin to, it's, it's very liberal. I mean, it is truly liberating. <laughs> I mean, that is the, the meaning of the word liberating is like I, I'm not following rules now. But the other thing that has become extremely popular is the idea of intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So I am going to figure this out for myself, but what I'm going to figure out is how to only eat when I'm hungry, how to stop when I'm full. And then very often there's a, a third sort of um, string to that, which is I'm going to eat what what my body wants me to eat is you know directing me towards and um, I've, I've actually got an, an an ebook on my website that people can download for free it's called what is wrong with intuitive eating and 
there is quite a bit wrong with it. What I do in that ebook is I talk through, um, I think it's about 12 um, published research papers that call into question that that is um, reliable. It's, it's not that I mean, people don't ever feel hungry, but hunger is in fact not a terribly reliable uh, signal that if you think about it um, sort of ancestrally way back when, we didn't really, we weren't designed or evolved to eat when we're hungry and stop when we're full. Mm -hmm. um, we were designed to eat whatever we could get our hands on and it wasn't very much and it wasn't all that tasty. You know, if we came across a cabbage one day, it's like, you know, that's a really good, <laughs> that was a happy day for us. And that was about it. I'm talking about way back when, you know, living in caves and all that. And there wasn't the hyper palatable manufactured food that just is so addictive. It, it is designed to be addictive. It's designed to, you know, grab us and we want more. And, you know, the food companies, you know, bless them. They need to produce that stuff. Otherwise, they'll go out of business. Um, so it's a lot of people. Sorry, I, I, just to come back to your question, a lot of it is learning not to, to look out for hunger and fullness, not to count calories, not to count, you know, carb grams or fat grams or whatever it is people are, are counting and to let go of those rules. Like I can have this much, but no more than that. Mm. Um, it is a big step forward and usually accompanied by some fear. Like if I, if I really let go of all that structure, there'll be no stopping me. But in fact, that part of, um, part of being able to grasp a sense of freedom is recognizing that in fact, it's the restriction that's leading to overeating. I'm sort of, I'm getting to answer your question now. I know I'm going on a bit, but it's actually the restriction, the I've got to get some rules from somebody and then be good and follow them, you know, to the letter. That actually, you know, it works certainly for a while. A lot of weight is lost in that space. It sets up rebellion because there's a point where somebody's going to go, I've had enough of that. You know, or they they make one mistake and 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 all is lost. They because that basic sense of of trust and, and that ownership of freedom was never established in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's really the problem. Um, is the rebelliousness. I mean, if people did follow the rules forever, there wouldn't be a problem with that you just yeah. you know that's that's the issue and I think you've raised so many important things which is why I was just so keen to introduce <laughs> there's so much to to talk about there from uh, the change of our environment from living in a now in a very abundant uh, landscape of food freely available and what actually is in that food um, and as you quite rightly say some of that signaling yes our bodies are designed to send us signals and for us to tune into those signals but I think it comes back to fundamentally what you're describing is understanding why you're eating and thinking about why you're making the choices that that you're making because for a lot of people when they think about food there's a purpose behind eating and that purpose can be different for different people at different stages in life can't it now you know the fundamental purpose of food is it's our fuel 
But beyond that, actually, it's uh, what, food for me is how I lose weight. Food for me is how I gain weight back to that relationship um, with weight. So what would you say there needs to be then that mindset shift when, again, thinking about the purpose of food, which will then enable you to have the freedom to decide? Um. In order to answer that, I would need to first of all differentiate between the food that I actually need to sustain the best of health for me, mm -hmm. and then what is over and above that. So there's the purpose of the food that I need is, yes, fuel, but it's also creating um, you know, enzymes and hormones and all the ways that my body work and the type of food and the amount of food, and also giving my body a good rest in between the very demanding process of digestion. Mm -hmm. So there's all that that's entirely appropriate, but then there's everything on top of that, either in terms of quantity. So people are, some people I, I work with are eating very healthy food just at meals, but their meals are like really big. So it's a quantity thing or in terms of quality. It's eating food that is perhaps, you know, like actively bad for us. And, you know, people are probably aware pretty much of what that is, but it's over and above. So I'm thinking your question is, what is the purpose of that excess food, the, the over and above what we're really needing? I mean, there's also the question of how can you tell them apart, but that's, an, I'm going down it on a tangent there. You can ask me that in a minute. But the point about um, overeating that I teach people is that um, it's it, the, 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 the cue, the impulse or desire is actually triggered from a cue. And that is very well known and very well established, possibly the most well established biological phenomena there is. And that's Pavlovian conditioning. So Pavlov trained his dogs to salivate whenever they heard a bell ring, simply because they were expecting food. They just thought, oh, great, food's on its way, because it always is when that bell rings. And so they have the expectation of eating. And what pe people who overeat um, condition themselves, you know, possibly, you know, they don't realize they're doing that, but they just condition all these cues. To a certain extent, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we need to have a cue to eat. Like, oh, it's lunchtime. <laughs> I think I want to eat something, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if your cues are happening you know, all over the place, like every half hour or so, then you're going to be overeating. And the cues can be feelings like mood states. Like if every time I'm bored, I eat something, then every time I'm bored, I'm going to have that impulse to eat something simply through Pavlovian conditioning. So the purpose, which is what you're asking, the purpose of that kind of eating, I would say, is to satisfy that conditioned association. And in satisfying it, it's also reinforced. Mm. Um, it can be arriving home, you know, every time, or, or leaving home. That used to be a big one for me. I was 
concerned I might get hungry if I left the house, like God forbid. <laughs> so getting ready to leave the house would be a cue for me to eat something just so, you know, just in the possibility, the vague possibility I might get hungry before I got home again. Mm. So that became a conditioned cue. So, um, you know, watching TV in the evenings or getting in a car. Many people expect to eat something as soon as they get into their car. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the cues, the triggers are going to be different for each person, but they are, you know, there's no shortage of them. Anytime a person is overeating, they're, they're responding to that conditioned association. That's a beautiful description of how habits work. There's your cue, there's your reminder, you take action, you get your reward. Yeah. You like your reward, you do it again and again and again. Yes. Um, and that is, that's your right. And so much of our actions are automated in that way, aren't they? We can't possibly be, uh, be thinking logically about all those thoughts that we get. So we need a lot of automations in our life for sure. Um, and some of those are useful. And some of those are not, as you describe. So that's overeating, um, Gillian. But um, let's just talk a little bit about restriction. So undereating. And you allude to this in your uh, TEDx talk as well. You talked about the Minnesota starvation experiment. So I'd really like you to uh, expand on some of that if you can. Well, my point in the talk is that it is often referred to and, and it still is. I mean, it's a real landmark study. And I think in particular, because it wouldn't be ethical these days, I don't think it could ever be repeated. So it was quite, quite an interesting study. They took, during the war, conscientious objectors. And so these people were kind of, um, I think they sort of volunteered, but there was a lot of pressure to do something for the war effort since they weren't actually going to war themselves. Um, they were all men and they didn't have any particular sort of overeating issues. They were all, you know, healthy, normal weight, fairly youngish men. Um, and they, the starvation study was a looking at the question of how best to refeed people who were starving, mm -hmm. um, particularly certain groups in um, Europe, perhaps the Netherlands and stuff, uh, Belgium, people were actually starving towards the end of the war because of what had been going on in those particular countries. And so they were looking at uh, what happens when you starve somebody and, as I say, how best to refeed them. So they were giving the men the type of food that was available to these people at the end of the Second World War, which was, um, I think, sort of tuberous vegetables like turnips and potatoes and things like that. Um, anyway, it's often referred to um, in terms of the high carbohydrate um, content in that um, after the after the study, I mean, during the study, they um, felt um, depressed and desperate and preoccupied with food, dreaming about it, um, you know, very, um, you know, emotionally upset. 
and then after the study became compulsive overeaters. And it's often said that it's because they were on a high carb diet, <laughs> um, high carb, low everything else, I think. But, and I'm not saying that didn't have something to, to do with it, but what is never mentioned except me by me in my TED talk, as far as I'm aware, um, is that they, they were forcibly locked up. I mean, they did not have the freedom to, they, they weren't themselves choosing, like, you know, there's some cake there, but I'm choosing not to have it. <laughs> that, that did not come into the picture. They were quite literally locked up without food to prevent them from eating. And I try to get this across in my course, and sometimes it's really difficult because loss of freedom is so um, profoundly upsetting, I mean, to put it mildly, um, it's immoral. And in most cases, it's illegal. You know, it, it isn't legal to lock somebody up in your basement. <laughs> you don't do it. It's, it's wrong. It's so deeply wrong to remove someone's freedom. Yeah. And yet, people who are struggling with their eating and following diets, they deny their freedom and they deny their free choice all over the place. Um, and it is, it, that's, what, that's what brings the, the real kind of craziness to it all. Mm. It's interesting you say that this is an experiment that can never be repeated again. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever watched I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here or oh. Cross It. Now, you know I haven't. <laughs> well, let me tell you, because I'm going to the media um, about this, actually, because in a way, what I was seeing unfolding when I was watching uh, some of those episodes was the Minnesota starvation experiment unfolding on our screens. Because they only get food if yes, they're if doing they're the right thing. Absolutely. So food was very, very restricted. And then you had to earn your right to food through all these uh, challenges that uh, unfolded on, on your screen. So yes, highly uh, entertaining for, for viewers. But actually, if you watch the behavior of the participants, which I was doing over several episodes, what you've described, that obsession with food, with everything being revolved around food, with those changes in mood that you could see changing over time related to restriction on access to food, that fundamental freedom and right was so deeply felt. Um, and uh, absolutely, it felt as though this was wrong and unjust and almost you know, criminal to be uh, uh, putting people through this. And yet here we are, a nation watching this unfolding uh, on our screens. And not only that, but everybody on a diet or any kind of, you know, weight loss program are mimicking the same thing, even though they're not, you know, locked away in a jungle or wherever it is. Um, they are mimicking that scenario in their heads, in their mindset. That's what my TED Talk's about, basically. That's what people do in an attempt to eat less. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're, you're completely spot on because, you know, we've, we've seen that, haven't we? But what is going on in the head? I know, again, you've kind of referenced, uh, you love your research and references like like I do. What are, what's our brain showing our, those MRI scans when you're sort of 
restricting food or um, what, what's the connection between I, Part of what I've loved doing over the last 10, 20 years is finding the research, finding the images, the pictures. And what, um, what's clear, I mean, there are a number of things that help people really get a feeling of free choice. And you're right, it is to do with brain function. Um, it, it might sound kind of dramatic, <laughs> like, oh, what's wrong with my brain? But really, you know, the brain is often referred to by neuroscientists as a use it or lose it organ. You know, it's like if you don't habitually use something, which is your choice, your decision making, your it's also referred to as executive function. Now, hmm, what's going to be the best thing for me now? What would I like to do? But really kind of to be able to um, embody that and have it be a reality rather than just paying lip service to it. Mm -hmm. That's about accessing the prefrontal cortex. And there are many studies that show that people who, um, the more overweight a person is, the less they access their prefrontal cortex. Not not because it's damaged in any way. Um, and of course it can, there are rare instances where people do have a, a damage there in that brain, but it's just because it's not used. Um, it, it's, so it's use it or lose it. People just don't use it or don't use it just in that area with food, just when it comes to food. It's just like, um, it, it, it just uh, doesn't, click click in because it hasn't been practiced i mean it, it has been likened you know like to a muscle like using a muscle mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um and so yes the mri scans show that the larger a person is the less they use their prefrontal cortex and then there are other studies that i've been looking at that show that if you don't choose if you are told to do something you don't use your prefrontal cortex. Um, and then this, the same condition, the same, you're doing exactly the same thing and it's the same person, but they're choosing for themselves. Mm. And hey, presto, the prefrontal cortex lights up um, in the MRI scan. Uh, and and that that's like the only way to get it to light up. And so, it's a matter of developing that and just and practicing that. But it's just that I don't know anybody else who's teaching this. You know, it's, it's still um, it, the main sort of ideas out there about controlling overeating are about, um, you know, follow these orders. <laughs> yeah, no, follow these rules. Do this. Happy. Don't do that. <laughs> or some variation on that. It's the whole language around food and mm. diet that needs to needs to change with a different emphasis, isn't it? That's, uh, that's absolutely. And now here is your lifestyle first prescription: your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. Based on everything that you've shared today, the research, the information, your years of experience, have you got three actions for us today? Well, I think. Recognizing freedom of choice, just an essential freedom that we have. And I do realize that's scary. I do recognize that. 
but I do think it's the first step forward. It's just this idea that it's my body, it's my life, it's my food. I can do whatever I really true, truly want. It's, it's up to me. I, by all means, follow advice. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong at all with finding nutritional advice that you can believe in um, and, you know, that, that you really think is sensible for you. Um, but recognizing that it's up to you whether you follow it or not and up to you whether you continue following it or not. So there's, there's that step of, you know, this, this is up to me that's, that's in there and very often missing, as I say, because of a lack of trust and just considering the possibility that you can trust yourself and you can learn to trust yourself. So recognizing that, just allowing uh, the possibility of free choice and realizing that it is a state we live in, whether we like it or not. Which is, which is very helpful in terms of, as you say, just that small shift in mindset and enabling choice and freedom to become part of your language. I guess some of that can sometimes feel more difficult in, according to things like demographics and your socioeconomic um, um, access and uh, vulnerabilities as well, because there can be difficulties with, uh, with accessing your freedom and accessing the choices you have in terms of what's available to you within uh, within the parameters of your of your own kind of I guess back to the your social demographics your economic demographics as well. Well, yeah, I I agree with you there. I that isn't really quite what I'm meaning. I don't mean that I have the freedom to eat anything yeah. um, that that could possibly be available uh, or. or you know, and things that are available to other people, you know, there might well be things in other countries that I can't get to. But um, in terms of overeating, like if I'm regularly overeating, I don't know, say a box of donuts or, you know, an extra large bag of Doritos or something, you know, I have access to them, obviously. And it's my freedom to do that. Um, it, that is my free choice. Um, so it's the overeating and especially the overeating that is habitually carried out. So therefore, by definition, I do have access to them. Um, that, that's really the freedom that I'm talking about rather than the freedom to eat exotic, very expensive things that aren't in my neighborhood. Perfect. Great explanation. Um, yeah. And then aim to consider what I'm eating in terms of what I actually need and what is over and above that. Mm -hmm. And it's not hunger and fullness that you want to rely on. I mean, that can be a guide, um, maybe. <laughs> so I'm not saying, you know, if you are feeling hungry, that's a bad thing but it's not 100% reliable. But just uh, think in terms of sense, like there's a difference between sitting down and having lunch with some you know, vegetables and stuff like that 
and eating that box of donuts. It, there is a difference there. One is um, nutrition that my body needs, mm -hmm. and the other is overeating. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And we haven't really talked about this, but the third one I would say is I think it's really helpful. It really adds to look for anything that you might like about eating less that doesn't have to do with weight loss directly. So things like having more energy, better sleep, better mood, um, the, for many reasons, paying attention to non-weight mm. benefits yeah. is a very helpful part of the process. And have the weight loss be a bonus rather than just everything. And I love that. That's brought us full circle back to the very beginning of the conversation where we said that we have an association between food and weight. But actually, there are so many other things that mm -hmm. food actually connects us to uh, in a very different way. And I love the idea of changing that association with food to energy and, and other things as well. So thank you so much for all of that, Gillian. I think those were uh, three um, very liberating um, actions um, for all of us. And I'm sure people are going to uh, want to know more. They'll be fascinated by, uh, by what you've shared today. What's the best way to, to reach out to you or find out more? Uh, well, the best website to go to is eatinglessonline.com. So all one word, eatinglessonline.com. Wonderful. I will share all of that uh, in the description of, uh, of today as well. So I'm sure people will be reaching out really. So um, really just to say thank you so much, Gillian. That really was very uh, a very interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you. That today. It's wonderful. Um, and just really to wish everyone uh, who's listening a happy, healthy day today. Good. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast, making self-care as easy as one, two, three. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and we'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. To learn more or to arrange a consultation, please visit www.dralkapatel.com. See you next time.